Well, hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. There's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Thursday, June the 30th, 2022, and this is episode 3,116 of the Survival Podcast. It is a Thursday, so it is time for an expert counsel Q&A show. Here's what I got for you today. First up, in the Ron Paul Liberty Highlights of the Week, we have... Why the Monetary System is Based on Counterfeiting and Lies, from Dr. Paul himself. Dan McAdams will talk about how the policies to punish Russia have failed. Punish the West instead, and opinion is beginning to change. Chris Rossini will talk about how rule by experts is destroying America. Nick Ferguson will talk about finding wholesale fruit trees from a supplier you can trust. Doc Bones on treating hernias with surgical alternative, if at all possible. Patrick Rohrman will talk about a full-tang knife and why you should care about full-tang in the first place. Tim Toolman Cook has a grab bag of DeWalt questions for us. Jeff Lawton will talk about gardening with tractor tires. I'll have a little bit of add on that. And then I'm going to be talking today about the basics of homestead security. Uh, I could honestly do a full show on this. This will be a 10-minute segment, so we're just going to hit eight bullet points really, really quick. But I'm going to dispel some myths, and I'm going to be doing that uh, on the podcast as an audio, but also that little segment will go out as a live feed uh, on my YouTube channel because that gets that short up on all of the video services. I don't generally announce when I just do the shorts, but if you're a subscriber to me on the video channels and you have your alerts on, you might find out when they're coming. But I do that so that they can be shared. I want to open today with a quote of the day, though, from Thomas Paine. I love this quote. Thomas Paine, of course, being the author of Common Sense, which was uh, a big way that the founders uh, gauged and grew uh, support for the revolution. Thomas said, He that would make his own liberty secure must guard even his enemy from oppression. For if he violates this duty, he establishes precedence that will reach to himself. This is something we have absolutely lost our minds about today. People talk about if Washington and Jefferson were around, they would have AKs and be heading to, to, to the Capitol with them. Maybe. But Thomas Paine would be slapping some people, like full-on pimp bitch slapping some people right now. This idea that it is fine. It is fine to oppress people if you disagree with them. We should oppress the right of speech with those we disagree with. And it might be going heavily in one direction right now, but it's gone the other way, and it will again. And it's still happening in both directions, just it's kind of weighted left over right right now, you know. But these people that are silencing their opponents, using the political process, the media, silence their opponents, they too shall be silenced someday. If we can use oppression to seize the property of one group of people, it will be used to seize the property of another group of people on another day. It's not a slippery slope fallacy argument to say that, because history has shown over and over and over for it to be true. Let's think about that as we go through the Ron Paul Liberty highlights. In order, you will hear again Dr. Paul, followed by Dan McAdams, followed by Chris Rossini. This whole monetary system is living a lie, and uh, it's important uh, and significant uh, because it's uh, it's based on fraud. It's based on you know deceit. It's based on everybody in the Congress takes the oath of office. I obey the Constitution. And, you know what? What if they? What if all of a sudden lightning struck and they all believed in a higher law that said that you know you can write rules and laws and constitutions and declare all kinds of things but there is always a higher law people know you're not allowed to steal cheat and rob and kill you know you're not allowed to do that and people know that but uh, people can lie to themselves and that's probably the biggest lie they lie to themselves and they go on and they they have these systems and they serve the special interest and they're usually part of that special interest when, when it comes to uh, what, what are they doing with the money? Well, the Federal Reserve and the government that participates in all the special interests, they're, they're, they're participating in counterfeit. 
which is a vicious crime. Matter of fact, it was one of the few crimes written into the Constitution, few federal crimes. There weren't very many federal crimes. Counterfeiting was one of them. Uh, and uh, they, 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 they thought that was a horrible, horrible thing uh, to do. And yet now uh, we live with counterfeit. That's why it can't work and it's going to fail. And we can put that next one up here straight out of the White House. Fact sheet. The United States and G7 to take further action to support Ukraine and hold the Russian Federation accountable. And I have a little clip from this statement, if you can do this next one, if you can. The United States has rallied over 30 allies and partners around the world. Well, that doesn't sound that impressive when you remember that there are 195 countries. So we're bragging about rallying 30 of the 195. And just put that back up, if you don't mind. They're rallying around the world to impose drastic costs on Russia. So I went back and looked around, and what are these drastic costs that Russia is facing thanks to these sanctions? Russia doubles fossil fuel revenue since invasion of Ukraine <laughs> began. So everything they're doing is having the opposite effect. They're actually literally helping fund the war in Ukraine by, by rising these costs. And what's happening to the people that live in these countries is they are facing a huge burden. And it's taking a toll. And this is a poll that I just looked at, Dr. Paul. This is a YouGov poll from earlier this month in the UK. And this is very, very important. The British do not want to support sanctions against Russia anymore if this leads to a further deterioration of their lives. And you can see where that inflection point hits, Dr. Paul, uh, where the people who oppose more sanctions now have surpassed those in favor. Of course, when they started and the, and the war propaganda is high, everyone just sucks it in. But when they start realizing the costs, and you look at that fourth question, they oppose more sanctions if it results in a significant increase in energy prices, 45 to 38. So they are losing the public opinion war in Europe. You know, the big picture of what we're suffering under is uh, bad ideas. You know, at 100 to 125 years ago, Americans were suckered. They were suckered into believing that freedom is no longer what America is about, individual freedom. Instead, you're going to be ruled by experts. And that is what we have had for 125 years. And, you know, just look at the last few years, what the medical, so-called medical experts did. What a huge disaster. Uh, but, you know, what we are talking about today is the so-called financial experts that control the money supply and interest rates, things that should not be controlled by people. And, uh, you know, this week, Jerome Powell, the Fed chair, he said, quote, we need to get inflation back down to 2%. We're using our tools to do that. See the experts? And he said, and the public should believe that we will get inflation back down to 2% over time. End quote. Now, the public should not believe any of this. Inflation should be zero percent. Nobody should have the ability to counterfeit money because inflation is a tax. And you see the higher prices that we're paying out there? That's how we pay the tax. We don't get a bill in the mail, you know, a nice bill that you send a check. No, when you go out and buy things, that and, you know, gas is 5 $6, now you're paying the inflation tax. Now, where does the Fed get the authority to tax us? They're unconstitutional. They're not in the Constitution. We're not supposed to have a central bank. So not only are we being taxed, it's even worse than that. We're being taxed by something that shouldn't even exist. So this entire process of 2% up to 2%, down to 2% is a complete shell game. It's the illusion of control. They cannot control the market, but they need people to believe that they can control the market. And as long as enough people believe that, our economic lifestyle is going to continue to go down the drain. So a quick little add on each of those. Um, Dr. Paul's absolutely correct. Our monetary system is in itself a lie. And it's what you would call a lie in plain sight. So th what I mean by that is what people are led to believe about our monetary system is not true. Yet the truth about our monetary system is not even hidden. It is so repellent to the mind that the monetary system actually works the way that it is. You can explain it to a person And you'll see them in cognitive agony. And the next day, if you ask them how it works, they'll repeat the bullshit that they've come to believe over the years as though you never even had the conversation with them. 
And it, it is literally that it is such an abhorrent system that is so repulsive and repugnant and yet so simple to actually understand that the mind repels it because it doesn't wish for it to be true. Dan McAdams on the policies with Russia, I have to say, duh. Now, I'm not saying duh to him. I'm saying duh to the world that, no, this is not working. Russia has has benefited economically a great deal from these sanctions. Now, it doesn't mean that everything in Russia is swelled because of the sanctions. What it, what it means is, overall, the national wealth of Russia has increased. Russia's leverage on countries that thought Russia didn't really have leverage on them has increased. The individual personal wealth of Vladimir Putin, who is supposed to be the enemy of the state, and all the states altogether an enemy of the liberty, has increased. All the things it was supposed to do have failed, and the actual punishment has fallen on Europe and the United States in our cost of living. Now here's the thing. I'm a redneck hippie duck farmer. This is exactly what I said would happen when the whole thing started, before the whole thing was even really in motion. I said, and I quote, We are screwed when oil is over $100, $120 a barrel. It destroys and dest it just ruins our economy. Russia is screwed when oil goes below $70 a barrel. What do you think this will do to the price of oil? And once that happens, who do you think will benefit from it? Really obvious. Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying I'm smarter than all the people in our government and the European governments who came up with this idea that they were going to punish Russia. I'm not saying that at all. I wish I was. Because then we could chalk up everything that's occurred in this absolute debacle to incompetence. We just say they're all stupid. They're all stupid. They should put Jack in charge. They're not stupid. They knew. They knew exactly what would happen. You can either say they wanted it to happen, they didn't care that it would happen, or option three would be they used it as a gambit. They knew this could be the result, but they thought that, that Russia would be quickly expelled from Ukraine. I don't believe that either. I don't believe that either. In other words, this is really bad for us, but it looks good on paper, and now we've done something without putting boots on the ground, and then Ukrainians will be able to get their place back, and it'll look like we did something, and yay, I don't think so. I think it's, I think it's the fact they knew it was going to happen, and they actually wanted it to happen, because there was no other potential result that would have come out of this. It's just the case. Last on Chris's comments on rule by experts, we call that technocracy. And you can see the problem when we install experts into bureaucratic positions of power, and then those experts have the ability to control funding and the voice of the experts that are not directly in the government. What we end up with is unelected officials with an undue amount of influence on control and policy within the country. And on the other side of it, we end up with oligarchy working in consort with technocracy through a process known as regulatory capture. And what they say is, well, these product projects are self-funding, see, because the drug companies have to pay for the government oversight in fees. But once you have a customer that completely dominates your entire book of business, who's really in control? The customer. So now we have the customer manipulating the government official with the power and a whole big plane, uh, game of incestuous grab-ass going on. It's a disaster. People often say, well, if you're not going to have rule by the experts and you have rule by elected, how about self-rule? How about self-rule? How about the absolute smallest government possible, which I believe the most smallest government possible is none, as far as government and the state, but... Even if we're going to have a state, those of you that hang on, we can't have anarchy, man. Okay. Then how about a government that simply protects individual rights? Since the smallest minority, and that's who we're supposed to care about, is the minorities, the smallest minority will always be the individual. With that, let's move on. We've got one here from Nick Ferguson on bulk fruit trees from wholesale suppliers. Hey, it's Nick Ferguson here with another expert counsel answer, and this one is on wholesale fruit trees and where to get them. What is the best place to buy fruit, uh, bare root fruit trees in bulk? This question is for Nick Ferguson. We want to buy a bunch of fruit trees to start a food forest. 
We bought a lot of fodder trees from Coldstream Farm, but they don't really have pear, apple, or peach trees. Is it best to find a local place, or are there some good websites that you would recommend? Thanks. Good question, man. Uh, and unfortunately, I don't have enough land to have first-hand experience with any of these companies, so all I can do is tell you which ones I'd be trying out first based on their reputation and what I know about these companies. Um, so number one on my list would be Cummins Nursery, C-U-M-M-I-N-S. And then number two would probably be Moser Fruit Tree Sales. Um, now, this is because you said in bulk. So my understanding is you're probably planting dozens of each cultivar because that's what bulk means. A proper commercial orchard type setup or a very large multi-acre food forest. Most of these companies that sell in wholesale, um, wholesale means like bundles. So we're talking fruit tree bundles of 25 to 50 of the same cultivar. That's 25 Arkansas black apples, 25 Santa Rosa plums. You get the picture. That's a lot of stinking fruit. So, um, you know, if you're wanting, you know, six or seven, eight different types of apples, I mean, eight different types of apples, that's, uh, that's quite a few, few apple trees. That's a couple hundred apple trees. Um, that's a lot of stinking fruit. So, if you're meaning one or two of each cultivar, then you probably want to go with more of a local nursery for the best bang for your buck, because a lot of those you can get fruit trees um, that are pretty dang decent, that are potted, that you could plant in the fall for, I don't know, 15 to $20 a piece, maybe $25. Bucks. Um, or if you buy online from someplace like Stark Brothers, I mean, you're going to be paying, paying probably like 30 or $40 a piece for them. Um, so, you know, if you're doing the one or two of each cultivar and you want a good variety, then, um, I'd probably be looking locally or Stark Brothers. Um, but by all means, you know, if I ever get a large enough chunk of land to devote 25 acres to fruit and nuts, I'd probably plant 25 of each cultivar myself. You know, I'd put a, a nice big long row of one type so that I could go through and pick when that cultivar is ripe and then the next row down uh, matures a little bit later and then the next row down so on and so forth you know get four different types of peaches a dozen types of apples plums chestnuts uh, that would be pretty epic uh, honestly at that point I'd probably be growing my own rootstock order some cyan and graft everything myself but that's just me I don't know maybe I'd be so busy that ordering you know a couple hundred fruit trees Wholesale like that would be worth it. I don't know. Um, on a separate note, anybody out there interested in going in together and buying a large piece of property in Tennessee near SOE Tactical and Dr. Ken Berry? Uh, I'm talking about a 1,000 acres, dividing it up into 5 to 20-acre plots, maybe having some 1-acre plots for people that just want kind of a bug-out location. I'm talking like mainframe permaculture design on the whole thing. Anybody? Bueller? If that's something you're actually seriously interested in, shoot me an email with land in the subject line to nick at homegrownliberty.com. I'm serious, actually. I have a dream property picked out. It's gorgeous. It's amazing. There's a stream running right down the middle of it. Lots of timber. Quite a bit of good established pasture. Already have enough investment backing to purchase. I just need to find people interested in purchasing the lots. I doubt anybody out there in the TSB community would want to have me as their neighbor, though. I mean, that'd be kind of silly. Okay, sorry for the digression. Back to fruit trees. If you're wanting to just order a bunch of different types, then you're going to get hit with retail markup. If you just want a ton of the same kind, you can go to one of these wholesale, wholesale companies and get some good trees to plant out a new orchard. And honestly... You know, if you think about it, think ahead, and you have a bunch of five-gallon pots, potting mix, irrigation setup. You could always make the investment up front for wholesale lots of those trees, pot them up, and then sell them later that fall at twice what you have into the trees and end up getting your fruit trees essentially free. Something to think about if you have the time and upfront capital to invest in something like that. Best of luck with your trees, and seriously, guys... I'm headed to DFW area this weekend to hang out with Jack, do some consulting, and talk to an investor or two about this land. 
I'm Nick Ferguson with Homegrown Liberty. Do good things. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of – I would start with this where Nick ended. I would seriously think about buying, let's say, a whole bunch of EL, LMA7 rootstock for your I – think I think that's a peach rootstock, you know, or – Whatever root, like Antonovka apple, full-size root stock for uh, your apples, etc. And whatever you're growing, like root stock only. And I would plant the root stock and then maybe find the different trees that I want, you know, healthy adult trees and get free scion wood or even buy the scion wood and graft to that root stock directly. That would be one way that I would go at this. The other way I really liked what he, he said, I would, you know, if you're going to, you just need to buy it, right? Okay, so then buy the smallest trees you can get, buy twice what you need, pot up the remainders, grow them out a season, and sell them on Craigslist and, uh, you know, next door and things like that, trying not to ship them. That's what I would do because. You'll find it really easy if you have any significant size to your local market, if you have you know pretty good-sized towns and, and stuff around you, to sell trees at a fraction of what the, 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 the local nurseries sell them at. Because people love to buy trees. They sell out every year. You go to all the box stores, all the local nurseries, they always sell out of their fruit trees. Now, if you live in a place where there's tons of direct access to nurseries, like East Texas, some of the areas out there, that may not be the case. But then if you did, you probably wouldn't be asking this question. So uh, something like that. Make this pay for itself. And then the other side is the bulk thing. So what's bulk? Because I've talked to people, hey, I'm going to buy a bunch of trees. I need to buy in bulk. And you're like, okay, well, how many trees do you want to buy? And they're like 30. And no, that's not bulk. <laughs> Especially like Nick's saying, if like 30 by 30 you mean like 15 varieties, two of each. That's not bulk. That's not what, what these places consider bulk. But then you, you talk to other people, and they're like, oh, yeah, like 3,000. Oh, okay, that's bulk. Also, always check your state nurseries. There's a lot of times they're selling. Now, these are generally more mast crop trees you know, that are like nut trees. But a lot of times you can get trees there so cheap. And often you'll find that you, know, you need 50 of them. They cost, they're very low cost compared to, to a commercial nursery. But then if you can go from 50 to 200, it almost costs the same with the price breaks at certain levels and things like that. So always check in and stuff like that, too. And uh, don't discount growing, like, apples from seed and things like that, either. The best, most rigorous tree you ever will grow. And it really doesn't take as much longer to grow into production as a lot than, than a lot of people think. Will be a tree planted from seed that was never moved from the day that it was planted. We do this transplant thing because it's it, it functions and it works and trees are up quicker and what have you. But if you can grow a tree from seed, it will be the most robust tree you could possibly ever grow. Uh, next up, let's hear about hernias from Doc Bones. Hi, Joe Alton MD here, also known as Dr. Bones of the survival medicine website doomandbloom.net, co-author of the Amazon Top 20 bestseller, the fourth edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook, plus designer of an entire line of medical kits and supplies at store.doomandbloom.net. This week's question for the expert counsel is from Daniel, who writes, Besides surgery, what other treatment options are there for an inguinal hernia? Can they resolve spontaneously or with non-surgical intervention? Here's my background. I'm a 44-year-old male, 6'1", 220. I have a moderately active job currently with no physical stress, but I'm looking to move in the next year to start a homestead with my family. This spring at some point, after moving a truckload of mulch into my bed, I noticed a very small bulge in the lower right quadrant of my abdomen, and with a little pressure, I could pop it back in. There was no specific event that I'm aware of that caused this issue. I spoke with my primary doctor, got an ultrasound, which confirmed the hernia. There is no bowel protruding. There is no significant pain associated with it, although there's almost a constant mild ache at the site. I'm concerned about it getting worse as I am very physically active at home in the garden and doing home repairs. I'm also concerned about getting a surgical mesh placed because I have neighbors and family friends who have had very bad experiences with them. Any information you can share would be appreciated. Thanks, Daniel. Daniel, not everybody knows about hernia, so let's start by defining what they are. Hernias happen when an organ, or most commonly a part of an organ, sticks out through a defect or weakness in the wall of muscle and connective tissue that holds everything in place. Let's take an analogy. Imagine a tire with an area that has a weak wall of tread. If you put that area under internal pressure, the contained inner tube will bulge out. That bulge is the hernia. 
Hernias most often occur in the torso between the chest and the hips and can be caused by excessive lifting, obesity, aging, straining on the toilet, frequent coughing, pregnancy, or you can just be born with a weakness in the abdominal wall. They can be broadly divided into two main groups, groin and abdominal. Each group has multiple types. Groin hernias include the issue you're dealing with, Daniel, inguinal hernias. An inguinal hernia is a bulging out of a part, usually a section of bowel, through a defect in the abdomen near the groin. Inguinal hernias are actually the most common type, about 75 to 80% of all hernias in adults. Another groin hernia is the femoral hernia. It occurs when a part of the bowel protrudes into the groin at the top of the inner thigh. That's known as the femoral area. The other family of hernias is the abdominal hernia. These include umbilical hernias. They occur when fatty tissues or part of the bowel protrudes through the abdomen near the belly button, sometimes causing a pretty striking outie. Some people are born with this and may actually notice it improving on its own as they grow. There's also epigastric hernias. This is a midline hernia that occurs when tissue protrudes out between the navel and the base of the breastbone. Abdominal hernias can also occur as a complication, by the way, of a surgical incision known as an incisional hernia. It's been reported that 15% of all abdominal surgeries end in an incisional hernia, but honestly, I remember it happening maybe, I don't know, once or twice in my entire career. Maybe it's because I work mostly in the pelvis. I don't know. There's another hernia known as a hiatal hernia. This is an internal hernia not readily apparent on simple physical exam. In hiatal hernias, part of the stomach bulges into the chest cavity through a weakness in the breathing muscle known as the diaphragm. Hiatal hernias may be associated with heartburn in addition to abdominal pain, difficulty swallowing, and chest pain. But today, Daniel, we're talking about your problem, inguinal hernias. Inguinal hernia signs and symptoms include a bulge in the area on either side of your pubic bone, which becomes more obvious when you're upright, especially if you cough or strain. As part of a male's typical physical exam for inguinal hernias, the doctor may feel the area around the testicles and groin while the patient is asked to cough. You may feel a burning or aching sensation at the bulge, pain in the area, or a heavy pressure sensation. These get worse when you bend over, cough, or lift heavy objects. Occasionally, pain and swelling will occur around the testicles if a segment of the intestine actually descends into the scrotum. Hernias can get complicated. You might not be able to push things back in. That's called an incarcerated hernia. Manual reduction provides relief from symptoms, but surgery is essential to close the weak area in the abdominal wall. Worse, a serious complication of a hernia can occur, something we call a strangulation. Signs and symptoms of a strangulated hernia include nausea, vomiting, or both, fever, sudden pain that quickly intensifies, a hernia bulge that turns red, purple, or dark, or inability to move your bowels or pass gas. If a strangulated hernia isn't dealt with, usually by surgical repair, pain worsens and an intestinal obstruction may occur due to blockage, leading to gangrene, the death of tissue due to loss of blood supply. In the past, this was a common end result for those with significant hernias. Daniel, a hernia usually doesn't go away without surgery, but there are non-surgical approaches, such as wearing a binder to exert gentle pressure on the hernia to keep it in place. Another item used for inguinal hernias is called a truss, T-R-U-S-S. A truss is a supportive undergarment designed to keep the protruding tissue in place and relieve discomfort by applying pressure to the weak spot in the abdominal wall. An uncomplicated hernia that has not been strangulated or obstructed can be reduced manually, that is, pushed back in with the finger, to send its contents back into the abdomen. The medic slowly applies pressure to the lower part of the hernia while guiding the upper portion into the abdomen through the defect. There is a chance that a hernia may occasionally improve on its own by using cold compresses, muscle relaxation techniques, and positional changes to help reduce the swelling. Let's talk about your concern with meshes. The term mesh is used to describe a flat sheet of prosthetic material, usually plastic, that's used to cover or patch a hernia. The most common type resembles a window screen in appearance. Some meshes are also made with protective coatings that allow them to be placed near abdominal organs. Decades ago, hernia repairs were performed by simply suturing the hernia closed. This is still an option, but this type of repair results in a percentage of hernias recurring later, maybe 25, maybe some people say up to 50. Mesh changed that. By using mesh, the chance of hernia recurrence dropped to the low single digits. Now, having said that, there can certainly be complications associated with the mesh. A mesh is a foreign body. It can become contaminated. It can lead to infection, requiring removal. Mesh placed inside the abdomen can also lead to scar tissue called adhesions that can predispose patients to bowel obstruction down the road. Fortunately, most problematic hernia mesh products are no longer on the market. So this is indeed a pretty safe option. This is Joe Alton, MD, that old Dr. Bones, wishing you the best of health and good times are bad.
Thanks for listening. Hey, don't forget to check out the Survival Medicine Handbooks 4th Edition and Nurse Amy's entire line of medical kits and individual supplies at store.doomandbloom.net. You'll be glad you did. So I'll just say, and this is how I feel about any surgery that a person needs to have, especially things that we, in our country, we kind of classify as routine surgery. Like there's lots of doctors that can do it, general surgeons, or even when you get specialized. Like, for instance, I had a pretty painful injury to my left Achilles tendon, and I was worried that it wouldn't self-rectify. It did eventually um, last fall, and it was there was a potential that I would have needed to have surgery on it. And I was already looking in case it came to the eventuality. My view is when someone's going to cut into your body, and it is an elective surgery, This is one of those places we don't pitch pennies. Like my, you know, I don't care about what you, unless you don't have the money. Like you can't do it. You physically can't do it. I wanted to know who is the doctor in my marketplace that has done this surgery the most times, and then I want to talk to actual customers, not blurbs on his website. I want as much intel as I can on this doctor. My wife had a very serious surgery. God, it's like 15, 16 years ago now. Uh, more, I think 17 would be right for a condition called trigeminal neuralgia and the surgical procedure is microvascular decompression this is something you need a neurosurgeon to do even with that said there's a ton of neurosurgeons in the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex that can do that surgery that do that surgery on a relatively routine basis but I found out there was a gentleman here, here named Dr. Jonathan White who's done more of them than all of them put together and that people from other countries that need this procedure done will fly into the United States and go to Zalipsky Hospital in Dallas to have Jonathan White do it. So that's my man. If I can, And I was able to work through uh, Trigeminal Neurology Association and get into Zale for him to perform the surgery. Whatever you can do, if you are going to let somebody cut into your body and you have a choice, don't think that one doctor is as good as the next. You need to do your due diligence and try try to find the best qualified surgeon to do the work. You would if you were having a room added onto your house, you would not get bids from one contractor, right? You would and when you did get a couple bids and you said, Hey, this contractor seems pretty good, you wouldn't just go see, oh, they're on the good contractors list or they're in the BBB. You might actually do a little bit of research and see if there's any customers out there saying, hey, this, these guys suck. And then people pick a doctor to do a surgery because it was in their network or whatever, and just like like you're buying shoes from, from the shoe store, and they're Nikes, so all the Nikes are the same. Don't do that. Please don't do that. All right, because I'll tell you, my dad had, very, had a, a, a very bad experience from hernia operation. I, I mean, it took... It took months of follow-up to get it finally fixed, and the doctor claimed no responsibility, and the doctor did make mistakes. Um, full disclosure on that. All right, next up, let's hear about full tang knives and why you should even care. Hey, guys, this is Patrick with MT Knives, coming to you today with today's expert counsel question of the week. This week's question comes from Papa Pepper. He's got a YouTube channel you should check out with some great videos. But his question is, is what is a full tang knife and why is it beneficial? So a full tang knife is a knife that the metal, the blade itself, extends from the blade all the way to the butt of the knife in one solid piece. There are full tang knives, partial tang knives hidden tang knives, and probably some others in there. But those are your most common ones. And the second part of that question is, why is it beneficial? Well, I'm going to throw a little curveball out there for you and say it's not necessarily beneficial. I know, shocker, right? So a full tang knife is beneficial in the fact that it's typically more sturdy, more reliable, and let's face it, if the handle breaks, you still have the tang of the knife to hold on to. But the caveat 
with that is, is a well-constructed blade doesn't need the tang to go all the way to the, the butt of the knife. Uh, let's look at a Japanese like katana, right? This is a implement of war. They're not full tang, but they are built in such a fashion that the handle is reliable. And that's the main thing. When you're looking at a knife, it needs to be built well. Whether that's a hidden tang, partial tang, or full tang, the craftsmanship is going to be the key thing. We all have those knives in our kitchen drawers that the handles are falling off or loose and they're just junk. And I think the desire for a full tang knife comes from people taking knives out and doing stuff like batoning wood with it, where really you've got the wrong tool for the wrong job. You're, you're abusing your knife. Um, not to say that that's not a function that a bushcraft knife should be able to perform, but you know, you're being pretty rough on it. And so you need a knife that's designed to withstand that kind of torture. So a full tang is good, but it's not necessary. What you really need is just a well-designed, well-thought-out knife that is built well. Um, that's the key thing. Whether or not it's a hidden tang, partial tang, full tang, a lot of what I do is full tang knives. Um, that's not to say in the future that I won't do some hidden tangs or partial tangs, but I'm trying to think most all the knives I've done are full tang. And also, let's talk about tapered tang. So a tapered tang is a knife that has the tang tapered. The thickness of it is the, it's the thickest at the handle and where the blade meet and then it tapers down to almost nothing on the butt of the knife this takes the added weight out of the the handle helps keep the knife balanced and you can uh, not only should a knife have a tapered tang it's also good to have what they call distal taper that is the knife gets thinner from uh, out towards the tip you need the strength, the most strength in a knife where the handle and the blade meet. You don't need all that strength and weight on the tip of the blade or the butt of the knife. So there are certain applications where it's advantageous to have that added weight on the front of the knife or have added weight on the butt of the knife. But generally speaking, you want your knife to have the weight centered or balanced on the knife and the further out you get, the thinner the blade should be, the lighter it should be and the same with the handle. So thank you for the question, Papa Pepper. If you have a question, feel free to send it Patrick at mtknives.net. Thank you. You guys have a great week. Yeah. My general view is absolutely. And it, it, it depends, right? That's always my answer. And, so, to me, the two big things are, one, that knife manufacturers, both really good ones and shitty ones, have done a lot of marketing around full tang because you put whatever benefit you can into the, the, the benefit, you know, that you can because features tell but benefits sell. So, you, you equate the feature full tang with a benefit must be better. So, you take all the features and then you claim they're all benefits. And then there are a lot of shitty knives that are not full tang. And if somebody had an experience with a shitty knife that wasn't full tang, well, then full tang is the problem. You know, not being full tang is the problem. Anyway, let's move on from there. Uh, We have a uh, grab bag on the Walt stuff from Tim Toolman Cook. Hey, guys. Toolman Tim here, coming back at you from the workshop where we create community, find freedom, promote preparedness, and share success. Back for another segment of the Expert Council, so let's dive right in. This week, we've got a grab bag of DeWalt questions. Got three of them, so let's see if we can knock them all out. The first one was, do you think it's worth getting the self-propelled version of the DeWalt cordless mower? So me personally, my answer is no. But again, it's a great big, it depends. For me, 
My biggest concern is runtime, and with the DeWalt Cordless Mower, which I love a lot, you get 75 minutes of runtime on the two 10 amp hour batteries with the push mower. Now, if you go to the self-propelled, it drops down to about 60 minutes of runtime because you lose that extra 15 minutes due to the batteries needing to self-propel the mower. Now, if 60 minutes for you is plenty of mowing time, and for the average lawn, if you're just doing one, sure, go for it, if that's what you like. I've never been a fan of self-propelled mowers. I just like to go at my own speed. It is what it is. And for me, when I'm doing, you know, six or seven lawns in a day, runtime is key. I need to have as much juice as I can squeeze out of those batteries. So, you know, if it's just for one lawn and 60 minutes is plenty of runtime for you, then go for it. If you're trying to get absolutely every minute of runtime out of your batteries, then I would say stick with the standard walk-behind push mower. Okay, second question comes from Melody. She says, Alrighty, people, this was one we got over in Telegram. She said, I need some Father's Day assistance. Uh, she said, I know you're a DeWalt guy, Tim. And she said, my husband has requested the DeWalt cordless pole saw. It is much less expensive to buy without the battery. He has several batteries from all his other DeWalt things. What a good man. Should I get the tool only or should I get just the battery with it? Well, again, this is great. So if you've already got a lot of DeWalt batteries, especially some of the four or five amp hour batteries, then you've already got what you need to run the pole saw. So it's a good way to stretch the budget to just buy the plain bare tools only. And the DeWalt cordless pole saw, no matter which version you get, he's going to love it. I'm going on uh, three summers with mine now, and the thing is just awesome. You'll get tons of runtime out of a 5 amp hour battery. So if you've already got the batteries, then you don't necessarily need to worry about it. But this time of year, especially DeWalt, or well, the DeWalt sales at Home Depot, tend to focus on the landscaping tools. So keep an eye out because quite often they'll have the bare tool and if you buy it, you can get a free battery with it or a free battery and charger or sometimes they have the kit, sometimes with a blower, whatever it happens to be. But just keep an eye out on the sales because quite often this time of year, the DeWalt landscaping stuff with Home Depot comes with package deals. And quite often... Even when you buy the kit, you're going to save yourself some money because buying those batteries individually can be really expensive. So just keep an eye out. But absolutely, there's never anything wrong with buying the bare tool, especially if you already have batteries. But if you can buy the bare tool and get a battery thrown in for free or almost free, that's always worth looking at because who doesn't want more DeWalt batteries? And number three, this was from an email from a guy named Jack. <laughs> I think we know him. And uh, he sent me an email because he bought the trimmer head that I recommend for upgrading on the DeWalt 20-volt string trimmer. And for a couple of years, I have recommended the AutoCut 25-2 and the Husqvarna T35. And they've worked great. They've both been really good additions because if you followed me any amount of time, you know that I love my DeWalt cordless gear. But the head, the factory head that comes on the DeWalt trimmers is absolute hot garbage. The thing is made out of plastic that wears out so fast it's not worth even looking at. So I always recommend to upgrade them. And until recently, both those heads fit perfect. But now they've ended up making a change so that the AutoCut 25-2 doesn't fit anymore. The only one that fits on the 20-volt is the Husqvarna T35. That is the one to go with at this point. Now, I'd gotten an email from Jack, and just before that, I'd also got a couple of comments on my video saying, Hey, Tim, the 25.2 doesn't fit anymore. I ended up picking up another one, and sure enough, it doesn't. So the only head that works on the 20-volt is the T35. Now, the 60-volt, the AutoCut 25.2 still works. I don't know. Not sure what DeWalt's trying to do, but just trying to get that information out there for you so that you know what is going on. I'll send links for that Husqvarna T35 trimmer head so that Jack can include it in the show notes, and I hope that helps, guys. So that's it for me this week. Keep the questions coming. I'm always interested in answering anything to do with DeWalt cordless, landscaping gear, entrepreneurship, starting your own business, 
generators, fuel storage, whatever it is. And if you want to know more about what I'm up to, the quickest and easiest way, you can go by toolmantim.co or come by the YouTube channel, The Workshop, on Thursday, Saturday, or Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Thursday night is Repairedness, the Art of Home Maintenance, when help isn't around the corner. Sunday night, I interview interesting people from around the preparedness and survival community. And then Saturday, we have a more laid-back episode where we can talk about anything. The other night, we did an episode on how the Waffle House is the most prepared company in America. So, anyway, guys, that's it for me. As always, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week. So good stuff, and I do have the link for that trimmer head in the show notes. I'll tell you, my issue with the older model was, and I might have just got a lemon, it was unbalanced. And it, because it, and I, I don't mean like it was hugely unbalanced, but it had, a, it definitely had a wobble in it that caused, um, a lot of discomfort when using the trimmer with that old head on it. Like kind of having a tire out of balance where you get a shake, and it caused a lot of pain in the specifically the right forearm as a right-handed person that you would use on the trigger. Uh, so I had asked him for a new one. He recommended the new one that I have now. I have to say it was stupid easy to put on. I think it works better uh, when it comes to loading new string and things like that, and it's fantastic, and I, I highly recommend it. Uh, next up, we have my segment, which is going to be on security uh, for the homestead, and this will be done also as a live stream, so I'll have a link in the video notes or the show notes where you can pick up the video if you want to share it or watch it as a standalone. So the way I came up with my topic for my segment for today's Expert Council show is I went on MeWe and said, hey, guys, what, what do you guys want me to talk about? And there was a bunch of suggestions came in. But this one I thought was really a good timely suggestion. I've also kind of been in, like, myth-busting or fantasy-busting mode lately. And we may do this as a full-on episode, uh, this topic. I think it's a good one, and we haven't done it for a while. And you can get really sophisticated, but I also think there's like just kind of a base level of homestead security and then staying out of the freaking world of Red Dawn fantasy bullshit, right? Like these ideas, I got me 77 guns and I'm going to shoot everybody, like this nonsense. And I'm putting in towers and whatever. If you want to do that, I'm not going to put you down. But most people talking like that, you're not going to do anything. They're, they're pleasuring themselves while they're reading the book Patriots with Red Dawn playing in the background or something in the prepper porn world. Um, this idea that we're gonna, I'm going to harden my place, I'm going to fight off the government. If the government targets you, you're probably going to get freaking hit with a freaking JDAM from above and disappear if we get into that world that you're fantasizing about. But there are real threats on, on the homestead. There really are. There, there's always been. Um, there's a reason that the the propensity to be armed goes up the further you get away from the city. We often think that the city's more dangerous than the country, and in some ways it is just because there's more people there, and people generally are the source of problems in the, in the city anyway. But the reality is that you're much more likely to have some form of aid or assistance in the city than you are in the country more quickly. Whether that's John Law showing up because you dialed 911 or just the fact that you have like there's a neighbor there, there's a neighbor there, there's a neighbor there, there's a neighbor there. There's more people around. All right. So uh, as you move out into the sticks, the further out you go, the longer the lag time between you having a problem and anybody helping you. So you do see the armament go up. And we also worry about things that, that city people don't. The city person doesn't worry about something eating their chickens. Right? It's not just two-legged problems we have. So here's my eight bullet points to start out with. One is that basic grounding. That we're not talking about security against an invasion force of U.S. Delta forces. Just forget that shit. That's not going to happen. Next is, let's break down the threats. What are the threats from a security standpoint at your home, whether it's a really rural homestead or even an urban homestead? I break them down to three things. Physical, meaning human body, right? Damage or, you know, like injury or uh, assault on people or, or peoples, right, at your location. So you, your wife, your kids, whatever. Something can happen to you. And that's what most people think about. But then there's material. Most home-level crime is not physical assault. It's material theft or vandalism. 
right? So people can steal your stuff or take your stuff or, 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 or damage your stuff, right? So material security. And then the one no one thinks about is informational security. How secure is your home network? I mean, there are people that do things like drive around and uh, hack networks. So making sure you have a secure network. But also, like, informational security is visibility. How much do you give away about what you have? You And this causes threats to escalate on physical and material. So if you have a bunch of really fancy shit that's on display, then people are like, oh, I know where to go get really fancy shit. Everybody's always worried in the uh, prepper space that, uh, you know, they'll know I have preps and when the shit hits the fan, they'll come here. It's a much bigger problem when there's just the local yokel thieves that drive around in case joints and they say, hey, look at how, how badass that bass boat is. Hey, look, he keeps it over, over there in his field under a little cover. If we just watch that place when he's not home, all we got to do is roll in there, pop the lock off the damn thing with a pair of bolt cutters and drive away with his bass boat and all his shit in it. And and you think, well, like it's boats are tied. I think drive your boy with your boat, joyride it, steal all the expensive shit out of it, and abandon it because what do they care? They didn't pay for it. So you have to think about visually the information that you're giving away and the technical information that you're at risk at. So think about those things. Then remember the enemy is not always human. Today, this morning, my wife said, I think we just lost one of the, the, the young chickens. And I said, why? And she said, because I saw a hawk fly away and it looked like it was carrying a small thing. And so I went outside and found the, this group of baby chickens, which was only four of them. Well, now there's three of them. So the wife was spot on. So the threat there was an avian predator, right? And when you have bantam chicken babies, that's just it's it's probably going to happen some. But that so that just broadens the thing. So what are threats on my homestead? Raccoons, foxes, coyotes. So that's handled differently than humans. It, it, if you see a human sneaking around, you probably shouldn't just go out and shoot him, but you can do that with a coyote. So that's one defense would be firearms, right? But keeping them out is the best course of action. So, like, we have a good secure coop for our, our birds at night. That's when the predators are most active. Hawks are a little harder to defend against. Uh, we use electric fencing at times as well. So think about the, the problems are much more frequently going to be your neighbor's dogs, a coyote, a fox, a raccoon, things like that. That's part of your security mechanism, too. When it comes to humans, in my experience, the number one defensive thing you can have is a perimeter fence. It's expensive, and I put it as a buy-once, cry-once thing for improving your land if you can afford it. Fencing does more than just make it more difficult to get in and out. You want the honest truth? You show me a fence. I got bolt cutters. I'll open the gate. I'll cut through chain link. I mean, I'll get inside a fence if I need to. It won't even take me very long. And yes, with a vehicle. But it does something. It does something. It removes the excuse. Oh, I was looking for help. Oh, I was lost. Bullshit. You went inside a fence and said, stay the hell out. It removes, oh, I was just lost. Oh, I was just looking. Oh, I'm selling freaking chocolate bars to get through college, whatever. You'll notice that all the videos of porch pirates that steal the Amazon packages, that shit always happens in neighborhoods where people can drive around, run up to a door, grab something, and leave. So perimeter fencing, to me, is a big deal, and good signage. We'll talk about the role of dogs next, but the signs on my front gate say, Do not enter. Gu dogs guard this property. Call this number for assistance. This says a couple things. One, it is not okay for you to come in here. Two, you will get your ass bit and or worse if you do. Three, if you really need someone in here, here's a valid method of contact so that you can get in touch with somebody. We do that as much for our security as to prevent, for security of like the things we're talking about, but our legal security. So if you do get your face ripped off by one of my dogs, you can't say you didn't know. We put those signs on every gate at face level, red and white, 
metallic, professionally manufactured. They shine when you put a light on them in the dark. And I think there's a place for signage like that. There's also a place for signage that basically makes you think, do I really want to do this? So I had some neighbors in Arkansas, and they had a sign that was just spray-painted on a piece of plywood that said, keep out or else, and it was kind of written in a very, like, you read that sign and you heard, but dang 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 if you feel what I'm putting down. Now, I knew this guy. And the, 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 or else would be something like, or else we'll give you a hug. He's one of the kindest people you would ever meet. But when I saw that sign, I was like, whoa, Hobie remembers me. It does make you think. So good signage, I think, is a big part of it as well. Cameras, whether you're using full-on actual security cameras, game cameras, I think that's really beneficial. But unless it goes to somewhere that's on display that lets you know what's going on where you can look at it, all it is is after the fact But it is beneficial. I used a game camera to stop a problem, right? Uh, <laughs> I, I, this was an issue with, there was somebody that when we lived in Arkansas, our garbage was picked up about a mile from our house, and we had these wheelie carts. And there was somebody throwing garbage in other people's wheelie carts. Now, if the, the problem would be that you would take your garbage down there the day before a pickup and you had no room in the cart you were paying for because they had filled your shit up. So I put a game camera where they couldn't see it. We identified the individual in question, and I and a neighbor went and paid him a visit and explained it to him in a way that he understood not to do it anymore, and we dumped all his shit on his yard, and it turned out the reason he was doing it, he didn't want to pay for his own cart. That would be one example of handling it yourself. And when he said he didn't do it, we informed him that we had video of him doing it. And if, we didn't, if he didn't want the sheriff involved, he would stop doing it, and he did. So that would be one example of the information after the fact was still valuable. But it would also like let you know if you're losing animals, well, what are you losing them to? Because the way you defend against a coyote is different than the way you would defend against a raccoon. So that's useful as well. Uh, I also think alarms like uh, MERS radio, motion detectors, and things like that can be extremely valuable to let you know that something's going on. And using those in conjunction with cameras can be very, very effective. Uh, next, dogs and what the role of dogs are. I've had Joel Riles on a couple times about protection dogs. I am uh, about to get a dog from Joel. He'll be here in the middle of next month. He'll be here for a few days as a barter agreement. He's delivering a pup. I think dogs that are trained to defend perimeters are great. The truth is if you have the right breed and right mindset and right line and right training with a dog, training a dog to defend a perimeter is way easier than training a dog in like a full-on attack scenario. Like, I want you to attack on command. You put a dog in a fence, and there's a certain amount of, this is mine, and you will stay the hell out. But the most valuable thing, two things that dogs do for you as a homesteader, once you have that perimeter fence, is they will defend your livestock as long as you teach them not to kill it. Because generally the way dogs get to, they like learn, if you do your job right, and it's not a difficult thing to train, especially if you start with a pup. These, these critters that live here, they're good to go. You're not one of them. I need to chase you, bite you, bark at you, attack you. And the hardest thing to teach them is the birds. Unfortunately, Charlie wasn't outside when the bad bird came this morning, or that probably would not have happened. So, But you can train them to that as well. And the way I've trained my animals is when it's something they're allowed to go after, I just encourage it. And I just encourage it with, it's kind of a universal thing that dogs understand. Oh, oh, he, he, oh get, like, oh, like just that kind of response. Like when they go at something, and it's something that you're okay with them going at, You pick what you use, and you give them that, and then when you see something that they don't immediately identify as a threat, and you want them to see it as a threat, you do the same thing. And that, that triggers that kind of defensive, hey, this is my shit, you need to stay out of here stuff. And that is a big... But the other thing with humans, even if that dog will not engage, because honest to God, if you do not train a dog to engage and fight a human, it is a very foreign thing for a dog to do. They might even bite, but actually full-on engagement, there's very few dogs that don't go through very specific training that will do it. Especially like two people trying to get into a place. They'll bark it off. 
But that's the key. The biggest thing a dog does for you is say, hey, hey, boss, they're over here. And it blows secrecy because the scum that break into property, they want to do it in a way without being seen. So if you just have dogs that are noisy, barky, do not, like the dog that barks at the blowing paper bag going down your street, do not correct that. It's okay. You do want an off button for your dogs. You want a way to say, hey, this guy's allowed to come in and be allowed to come in if you've trained perimeter defense and things like that. My dogs are great as soon as we let you in. You try to come in, you're not allowed. That's just the rules. But they are very much, they're going to bark. They're going to set off the alarm. And that's the biggest role that dogs play on the homestead. And uh, Green Country Agroforestry in the, in the live chat saying African geese are great dogs too. They honk at everything. Geese are great. Now, there are people that are literally afraid of geese. I'm not afraid of a goose. I think any grown-ass man can take on a goose if he's not a dumbass and runs away from it, because then you will get your ass beat sometimes and bit. But the, they honk. Our geese, as soon as they see, they see me, they start honking. And that's, guineas are another critter. So critters that sound the alarm, whether they're dogs or not. Uh, and then last, I think the biggest thing missing in most people is what's your plan? What's your plan? You, you at night, you see somebody out by your gate, Are you going to run out there with an AR pointed at them? No, I wouldn't advise that. That might just be someone that needs help. Um, but how, what's your angle of approach? What are you, how are you going to approach that vehicle, etc.? I've had to do that a couple times. Uh, once here, but several times in Arkansas where we had a gate. And we're like, when somebody's at the gate here, it could be just, there's not a lot of places to turn around on my road, and I just give them some time. They're usually not going to advertise having their lights on. Arkansas was a different thing, and I had a way that I would come up behind the vehicle through the woods. And that was not overkill. And one night it really paid off. There were some rather dangerous individuals that were, um, they were at the wrong place. And they were looking to score meth. And it ended up later that they were significantly dangerous individuals. So it's good that I did that. So having a, but are you going to, you know, are you going to call 911? When do you call 911? What are you going to do if you catch somebody in your garage? I'm going to go get my gun. Well, Okay, what are you going to do? So I'm not going to give you what your plan needs to be. I'm just going to say you need to go through the different scenarios of different threats, human and vermin, and vermin humans, right? Uh, and you need to have a plan. So those are my basic thoughts. That's 16 minutes. It's longer than I planned on for this. That's all I can do in a segment. But we may go into this deeper. We may even do a series on this because there's a lot that can be done. But again, just real quick, grounding in reality from the start Understanding that your, your, your threats are generally physical, material, and informational in nature. Uh, the enemy not always being human, in fact, more often being critters. Perimeter fencing, good signage, game cameras, security cameras, motion detectors that alert you to what's going on. The role of dogs and other critters that sound the alarm on your homestead. And your actual plan in various situations. And with that, we'll wrap up the live feed for today and get back to the audio podcast. Remember, with these short ones, you can share them with your friends and neighbors. So with that, we've wrapped up another episode. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I do not have an item of the day for you today, but just remember, you can always help support the Survival Podcast by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. And also remember that you can always become a member of the Member Support Brigade. If you like this show and the work that we do, and you think, hey, it's worth 18 cents an episode, would you consider becoming a member today? And I'll tell you, you get your money back if you use the membership benefits. I don't know how you wouldn't. Uh, basically, we have discounts to tons of different uh, supporting vendors. Uh, one, for instance, is ButcherBox. It's $10 a box off for life as a ButcherBox customer. Well, if you do a box a month, that's $120 a year on a $50 membership. I have several CBD vendors, and the discounts there are such that if you use CBD in any quantity, an order or two, and you've, you've profited already. And that's just you know a handful out of over 50 vendors that are available for you as an MSB member. The, to join the MSB, just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members, and you can learn more there. And if you're military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, or a first responder, uh, any of those things, you do qualify for a discount. But email me before, not after you join. Before, put TSPC service discount in the subject line, and I'll send you that discount code. 
I also do take Bitcoin and other crypto, and if you pay by Bitcoin or other crypto, including Bitcoin on Lightning, any any way you want to do crypto, um, I will do a, a special kind of discount thing that you only find about if you if you try to do it. And the way you find out about it is you go to the member site to sign up, select crypto, fill out the form, and it's a manual process there. People have asked me a little bit lately since you're so big on Bitcoin and kind of you know calling most other cryptos anyway shit coins. Do you take other crypto? I do, and by full disclosure, it doesn't mean I keep them. I do what most vendors that take crypto do. Like, you want to pay in Dogecoin? I don't care. Uh, I'll, I'll, what I'll end up doing is I give you, and I advise anybody that's an entrepreneur out here, that's why I'm even explaining this. Do you take a crypto? What do you want to pay with? If, if I have an exchange account on an exchange that will let me exchange that crypto into Bitcoin, yes, I will take it. I don't care. It can be diddly-doo-da-coin. And as long as like CoinX or Coinbase or somebody has it on exchange, uh, I will take it at, at, at the dollar value for the product. And the second it's there, it's switched over. And in some ways, if you want to keep your Bitcoin a little more no KYC, there's some advantage to going that route. I'm just saying, if you do other things the right way. With that, we've wrapped up. Tomorrow will be an episode of Outback with Jack. I'm kind of feeling like it's going to be a combo episode of some practical and some current events and all the crazy shit that's going on in the world all mixed together. Y'all seem to like it when it's that way. I get better attendance in the live stream. With that, let's go ahead and wrap up. Thank you guys for tuning in today. I will be back again with another episode tomorrow. You pull yourself up. They keep bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month. Show you a better way You don't have to be Another face in the crowd You don't have to live the way they tell you to Make your own way The others will follow Yeah.